0: Welcome to the Pinocchio Project. I'm Mitch Friedman, and in my life and experience as a husband, a father, a church planter, and a university professor, I've discovered that everyday ideas about human flourishing have significant consequences. Here at the Pinocchio Project, our mission is to examine these everyday ideas and determine if they actually deliver on their promises. Hello and welcome to the Pinocchio Project. My name is Mitch Friedman and I'm broadcasting along with my sound engineer par excellence, Jeff Olson. Wave to the folks, Jeff. And uh, we are now going to start what's known as a basic introduction to biblical worldview. We've talked in our first several pods about the importance of worldview and the fact that everybody has one. Uh, Today, we're going to be answering worldview questions Uh, that are essential to someone's idea of what human flourishing looks like. And as a matter of review, uh, ideas on flourishing are the makeup of a worldview. Uh, Flourish is a verb. It says it means to grow or develop in a healthy or vigorous way, especially as the result of a particularly favorable environment. And when worldview ideas come uh, into play and they come into conflict, they're typically in play and in conflict as a result of what a particularly favorable environment looks like for human flourishing. So ideas on uh, how life is best lived, ideas on how to live a meaningful, purposeful life, Uh, ideas on what comes after this life, uh, ideas on where we came from. Uh, Those are all in play and often in conflict in different worldviews pertinent to flourishing. What is a particularly favorable environment in order for human beings to grow or develop in a healthy or vigorous way or for culture to grow in a healthy or vigorous way? Now, ideas on human flourishing have consequences. Uh, good ideas about human flourishing create actual flourishing. Uh, they, they enable growth and development in healthy and vigorous ways. Bad ideas about human flourishing create victims of those ideas uh, and bondage and the opposite Of flourishing, which I would say is to not grow or be stunted or to develop in a non healthy and non vigorous way. And so the goal of the Pinocchio Project is to vet ideas that are currently in play and in conflict uh, right there in your neighborhood, in your schools, in your child's schools, uh, in your workplace, uh, maybe even in your church. And so As we move forward today, I think I want to review just the definition of a worldview. A worldview is a set of lenses through which you see and understand the world. Uh, To put it another way, it's a filter through which you answer the foundational questions of life, questions that everyone everywhere is asking all the time whether or not they realize they're asking them. And so the goal of the Pinocchio Project is to help us build a biblical worldview so that we can properly vet ideas on human flourishing according to these essential worldview questions. And we've said before, and as a matter of review, there are four essential categories of questions that are common to everyone, and I'll review those. Uh, The first question or category of questions is about origins, and really the fundamental question here is, what does it mean to be human, uh, rooted in the answers to the questions, who am I, how did I get here, how did all this get here, and why am I here, which indicates purpose or design. So the fundamental question of the origins category is, what does it mean to be human? Uh, the second question, or the second category, it has to do with problems. So what in the world is wrong with this place? And that is the indicator of a fundamental dis-ease that everyone feels uh, that's couched maybe like this. It's not supposed to be this way. Uh, and there's something that that all of us share uh, that's common to everyone uh, that we know when things are not right and it, that are not arranged uh, behaviorally or philosophically the way uh, that flourishing can best be offered. So, origins and problems, and then the question or category of solutions. If we know or think we know what's wrong, what must be done then to fix the wrongs? And the fundamental yearning here, we've said, uh, is basically, what does it mean to be saved from the problems? How can we be saved? Uh, In a religious sense, you might see this as a salvation issue. Uh, But the fundamental yearning is common to everyone, whether or not they would claim a religious impulse. Uh, And that's the answer to the the problem question, what must be done to fix this? And so origins, problems, solutions, and then finally, destinations. And the fundamental focal point here is, what's to become of me? Uh, what's to become of us what's to become of all this is all this going somewhere and and is there a role for me as this thing moves uh historically to its terminus or its uh, ultimate destination Uh, a greek word for this would be telos is there a telos is there is there a is there a wrapping up that is by design in this narrative and as we move to the conversation of a biblical worldview and how a biblical worldview helps answer these categories of questions, it's important for us to understand that the biblical narrative is a complete integrated picture. It is, a, it is, it is, it is so much more, and it's, even, it's, it's not even appropriate to, to say the Bible is a collection of stories and a collection of wisdom uh, and a collection of uh, uh, teaching. Uh, It's more appropriate to understand the Bible as an integrated narrative text by which God writes his story that answers all of these questions particularly and completely. And as we move into this conversation, we're going to understand what it means to uh, live according to a worldview, and we'll talk about the three tests of a worldview uh, in more detail in later uh, podcasts. Uh, but in review, the, the three tests of a worldview to determine whether or not they're functional or livable uh, is, first, the test of internal coherence, uh, a worldview that does not contradict itself. Uh, for example, uh, if, if someone that says that human life is an accident, it's random, it's undirected, uh, it's without purpose— uh, and then that person introduces the idea that that we all have a moral objective uh, obligation to treat another person justly or with kindness. That is contradicting in and of itself, because if all if all thinking is random, if all life is random and even my mind cannot be trusted because it's formed in an undirected way over time, there's no objective truth that we can that we can grasp or trust uh, when it comes to making moral statements or truth claims. Uh, the second test of a worldview is the test of external correspondence. And the understanding here is that a worldview must align with reality. Uh, and, and simply put, I can offer that I will be safe if I climb to the top of a three-story building, go out on the roof, and then step off the roof. Uh that statement of my worldview as to gravity uh, would be proven to to fail the test of external correspondence when I fall three floors and go splat on the sidewalk. Uh, So the test of external correspondence must now uh, be proven in the fact that it that this worldview explains the big picture of everything uh it, it explains not just the picture of history science psychology human nature uh individually but it it is it is all combined together to answer the questions uh, even the mysterious questions that should remain a mystery and must remain a mystery Uh, Is a worldview big enough to to have a place for mystery or things that are transcendent or beyond the, the realm of the natural? So the test of external correspondence is the second test. The third is the test of operational adequacy. A functional worldview lived out delivers operational flourishing. Uh, just consider maybe someone who holds to an eastern view of religion that asserts that the physical world is not real but an illusion, and yet that same person makes a habit of carefully looking both ways before crossing the street. Uh, They have shown that they don't really trust the operational adequacy of an illusory world because they know that a bus would not be an illusion if it actually made contact with them as they step in to the roadway. So the test of internal coherence, the test of external correspondence, and the test of operational adequacy. When we vet these ideas in the days to come, these ideas that are common on human flourishing on the street where you live, we will vet them largely according to these three tests as we compare and contrast ideas with a biblical worldview. So today I want to talk about what it means to build a biblical worldview, and then in this in this pod, briefly describe how the Bible answers the question of origins. And the way we build our biblical worldview is, uh, hello, uh, Captain Obvious speaking, we form it from the biblical text. We form our biblical worldview from the biblical text, and you would say that's a no-brainer, and I agree. So our responsibility is to be familiar enough with God's grand story and all of its movements from creation through restoration must be familiar with it enough to be able to understand how I vet ideas that are coming at me. So my biblical worldview is formed from the biblical text and consciously subject to having my worldview adjusted. I subject my worldview to ongoing scrutiny and accurate adjustment, again, from the biblical text. So this is a lifelong journey for the follower of Christ. This isn't a one and done. I said yes to Jesus. I got baptized, so I have a biblical worldview. I would offer that that is, uh, at at best, idealistic, uh, neutrally naive, and at worst, ignorant. Uh, of the fact that we are called to a journey of discipleship, being taught to obey everything that Jesus has commanded and what is contained in the biblical text. So our non-negotiable prior commitment to building a worldview that's biblically based is that the Bible is our only rule for faith and practice. And so now I want to move briefly to A conversation, and this is a 50,000-foot view, and it will come into play again and again in our subsequent podcast as we vet ideas. But we want to introduce how God's grand story, the four movements uh, that have to do with origins, problems, solutions, and destinations, how a biblical worldview answers these questions. So we'll start with Origins. So we're going to answer the four essential worldview questions biblically, and we're going to start with origins, the question of of worldview and how it answers the question of origins. So our textual focus here uh, is largely Genesis chapters 1 and 2. So what we're going to do here is we introduce all of these categories of questions again, and we are going to answer them biblically as we're going to understand more and more how the text speaks to them. And we're going to do that by looking specifically at sections and chapters and huge chunks of the text where appropriate uh, that address these individual questions. So a biblical worldview and the question of origins, our textual focus is Genesis chapters one and two. So Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two are largely the same story uh, told from a different perspective. Uh, Genesis chapter one is the the six days of creation from a fifty thousand foot perspective. Genesis chapter two uh, is more granular in the sense of there are more specifics given uh, relative to the man and the woman and how they now are coming together by God's plan. And so the truth claims of Genesis one and two, uh, I've just I've just distilled four of them. And the first is that in the beginning. God, that's Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. So there are no origins for us if there's not God in the beginning. He is the creator, and by the word of his power, he spoke all things into existence. So a biblical worldview has to hold plainly to the understanding that without God, there is no beginning. God is the author of all things. He is the creator. So in the beginning, God. That's truth claim number one. Truth claim number two, mankind, you and I, male and female, are created in God's image. We are, giving, we are given capacities. We are given opportunities for reason and intellect that aren't common in the other beasts. Uh, And included in the reasoning and intellect package uh, is the need to answer the questions that we're talking about right now. I've said it before. My chihuahuas have no interest in these questions, nor do any other brute beast of the field. Uh, Trees don't ask the questions. The the mighty rivers and waters of the ocean don't ask these questions. Uh, This is something pertinent to and designed by God for us to wrestle with and to come to security in our knowledge and understanding. So truth claim number two is mankind created in God's image. Truth claim number three from Genesis 1 and 2 is that now image bearers, that's us, created in God's image, and you'll hear me refer to us as image bearers probably pretty much throughout the course of this entire uh, series of podcasts in the Pinocchio Project. Image bearers are designed on purpose, male and female He created them. Design. There is specific, biological, functional design with a purpose. This is one of the most key pillars of a biblical worldview, particularly when it comes to the question of origins, uh, as we wrestle with some of the, the major front and center issues of today. Uh, where we, as, as men and women, want to decide whether or not we're men and women, uh, we immediately now jump the guardrails of God's design and purpose and set ourselves up for what will most certainly be ultimately less than flourishing. Uh, image bearers are designed on purpose. Uh, that's the third truth claim. The fourth is, is that image bearers are commanded to form, fill, subdue, and rule commanded to form and fill the earth by work, by fruitful childbearing, we're called to subdue and reign over the culture, reign over the creation, and to rule the creation. Uh, we form culture, we fill the earth with children, we subdue and we rule the creation as stewards, as managers, not as overbearing Uh, tyrants now exhausting god's creation Uh, that is the design that we see in genesis one and two and so to distill that even further the four flourishing consequences of god's very good ideas uh, in creation uh, what we see in genesis one and two the first is that image bearers are intimate with their creator uh, we, are, we, are, we share in the capacity to connect with each other relationally. And you, you see this intimacy, I think, played out in a way that's so compelling. Uh, we don't see it until Genesis chapter 3, but it's obviously in practice uh, early uh, in the creation. Uh, when the text says in Genesis 3 that God came down to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. Uh, so that reminds me of the, of the intimacy between image bearers and their creator. Uh, the second flourishing consequence of God's very good idea is that image bearers are confident in their true identity, confident that their design and their purpose are going to be sufficient for the commands that God has given to form, fill, subdue, and rule. So image bearers are confident in their true identity. Three, and this is so important, uh, image bearers are intimate with each other. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see uh, male and female, and then we see in, in chapter 2, those male, the male and the female are named, Adam and Eve, uh, Ish and Eshah, male and female, Adam and Eve, naked and not ashamed together the the image of the first marriage is for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and unite become one flesh with his with his wife and then the very next statement at the end the very last statement of Genesis chapter 2 is the man and the woman the ish and the isha were naked and they were not ashamed that is ultimate beautiful intimacy designed on purpose with purpose living together without shame. And fourth, image bearers are cultivators of a creation hardwired to flourish. A creation hardwired to flourish. It was almost as easy as just looking at the garden and saying, bloom, there were no weeds, there were no rocks in the garden, there there was no toil, there was no backbreaking labor in the beginning. The question of origins is answered with this comprehensive intimacy and ease of cultivation for the man and the woman, the Ish and the Esha, Adam and Eve. And I want to offer as we get ready to close this section, this discussion briefly on a biblical understanding of the answer to the question of origins, that unless you start here, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, you're going to find yourself adrift when the messages of cultural mandate come against the design, come against the purpose, and come against the reality that God has commanded us in our design, with our purpose, to be cultivators of His creation. That is the idea and the setup of God's very good creation for flourishing. So that's all we have for today. And I want to thank you for paying attention. I I encourage you to get into Genesis chapter one and two and find for yourself all of these aspects of the answer to the question of origins. It's found right there in creation. Until next time, Mitch and Jeff signing off for the Pinocchio Project. Thanks so much for listening. If this podcast has value for you, we have new episodes dropping each Monday and Friday. Please follow or subscribe, share, and give us a five-star review. And if you have an everyday idea you would like to submit for us to examine, just hit the links in the show notes below. And remember, ideas have consequences.